do you like wine? Then you'll love Scottish wine. My family has been struggling to make wine on our freezing rocky hillside vineyard on the Isle of Mull for generations. But this year, with the help of Mitchells and their new Industrial Christ Acid into Wine Conversion Solution, we've almost ditched the grapes entirely and now make a sparkling, tangy, black wine using old car batteries. Perfect for a special occasion or for cleaning persistent guano stains off the head of a statue. Buy your Scottish wine now at Scottish Grapes. Get your Scottish Grapes dot grape forward slash Scottish wine. Get your Scottish wine forward slash wine forward slash Scottish Grapes forward slash grape. I guess Mirahela Mitchells. And welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, the number one podcast for those involved, or just interested, in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the podcast companion to the Beef and Dairy Network website and a printed magazine brought to you by Scottish Wine. Now, security is a basic human need, like water, shelter or beef. But new figures published this month by the British Beef Security Watch, or Babasoa, show that burglaries of beef have risen by a shocking 60% this year alone. We don't know why, but it is thought that thieves perceive that beeves are easy to retrieve. It's hard to conceive, but in some cases these beef thieves hope to deceive to achieve when they heave sheaves of beeves into their sleeves and then take their leave. The owners, of course, then relieved of their beeves. At least, this is what this podcast believes. Frequent targets include beef farms, slaughterhouses and butchers. And someone who knows all about this is Keith Poggles. Hello, this is Keith Poggles. I'm a security consultant. These days I run um, Poggles Security Solutions. Previously, we might have known us as the Iron Vanguard. We did have to change that uh, name. That turns out to be the name of a fascist youth movement in Armenia. And um, they've got the dot com. They got in quick. Well, thanks so much uh, for talking with me today, Mr Poggles. Uh, we've seen the headlines this week. Uh, beef break-ins are up 60% this year alone. There seems to be some kind of trend. Farms, slaughterhouses, uh, butchers being broken into, beef being stolen. I would imagine that uh, business is booming for Poggle's security solutions. Yeah. Just yeah. just um, talk us through the, the, the uh, service that you provide. Well, as you say, there's, there's never been a more important time to protect your beef. It's chaos out there. And what you need is somebody who knows what they're doing. We make sure no one is going to take your beef. So the idea being, essentially, we, are, we, we go in and we try and steal your beef. And more often than not, we'll succeed. And people will say, how, you know, how did you manage that? I thought we had everything you know, sorted. And we'll, we'll come back and say, well, here's what, you know, here's what you need to do. So when you go to these properties, what kind of security measures do people tend to have? Doors. They often use doors. Uh, and they'll lock those doors. Interesting. Yeah. And I'll have to often explain to them, well, look, we can, we can get that door open. That surprises a lot of people. These doors you're talking about, I imagine, are the kind where a key is needed to, and, and you know, correct me if I'm getting the terminology wrong, unlock the door. Yeah, it's a key system. So you'd have, um, oh, yeah, how to describe it? So uh, 
so the key will be specific to that particular door um yeah tricky for you then yeah so we wouldn't have access to the to the particular key but there are ways to um open a lock without the key really and i think people need i think people's eyes are finally opening to that i think there'll be a lot of people listening who you know maybe they have their own beef facility of some sort and they may well have spent a lot of their own money on these door systems with the unique key that corresponds to the unique door and who can blame them because that that message is still out there get you know well, if you want to go and get a door ways yeah. to, you know get through a wall isn't it and close the wall behind you i'm not here to say that we shouldn't have doors at all but i think people maybe have been led down the garden path a bit by some of the the door campaigns out there that have convinced people that a door is going to stop people getting into their premises. I wonder whether maybe it's it's bred a kind of complacency. You know, I don't need to worry. I've got I've got doors. There is a complacency, and, and you think the door was invented? Goodness knows, it must have been a hundred years old at least. You know, times move on. You know, don't they? So, um, listen, I'm. <laughs> what I'll say is, when I turn up and I see there's a door, <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> you know. Because we're getting we're getting through there. Somebody who has recently upgraded their security system is the owner of the Roberts Slaughterhouse in Clankegan, Wales, Eli Roberts. Not only has his slaughterhouse complex had doors for many years, he also employs full-time security personnel. However, in recent weeks, he has fundamentally changed the makeup of this staff. I went to meet him to find out more. What do you say if I told you I could find an employee that was loyal, strong, a tremendous endurance, ruthless when he needed to be ruthless, and would work for nothing? Well, that's that's not an employee anymore if they're working for nothing, but... Well, what if I told you they, they, they didn't know that? Okay. I mean, we have really sort of hit the pay dirt here because uh, I am uh, quite proud to say that I have hit upon employing chimpanzees. I asked Eli what was attractive about replacing human security guards with chimpanzees. Two words. Human error. And I'll give you another word as well. Greed. So uh, security at the plant is very important to me. You know, it's, uh, it stops people breaking in. Uh, and stops people breaking out, more importantly. I was employing a couple of the local lads to be security for me, but uh, the, the workforce was was de- depleting. I mean, it depletes anyway, I mean, through through industrial accidents and uh, uh, malnutrition and whatever, but I mean, it, people were escaping. Oh, I say the word escaping makes me sound like I'm uh, culpable, but I mean, they were people were leaving without permission and uh cost me an arm and a leg. It cost them an arm and a leg when I found them as well. And uh, you you can't trust people, and then they want to pay Ray. Or you know, I, I, this is this is inhuman. I said, well, I, I tell you what, then I'll get someone who is inhuman, right? If this is below you, right? You think you think you're an apex predator? You think you're king of the castle? You think you're top of the pyramid? Are you indeed, right? I'll tell you something, nothing, right? Any one of those lads that work for security for me, put them in a cage with Jill. Jill's a chimp. Jill's a chimp. She'd take her face off. She'll take her face off? She'll take, take their face off. Take their face She'll off. take their face off, yeah. What does Jill ask? Asks nothing in return. So really, you see a chimp as mm. the, the perfect security guard? 
think of it, right? They'll work all day, they are as you like. They got no no sympathy whatsoever. They got no compunction about uh, going uh, in inverted commas too far. As soon as you take them away at a suitably young age, they 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 develop a bond with you. You know, I've become like a father figure to a lot of those chimps. So, do the chimps here? Do they mm. think you're a chimp? Yeah, they think of me as like a hairless uh, as a hairless chimp, I suppose. Which, let's be honest, is what is what we are. I was interested in how Eli had obtained the chimpanzees. Do you, do you know how much a chimp costs? I've got no idea how $12, much. $12,500 US. Right. I'm a laugh, man. What does it cost to drive a transit van to uh, Central Africa? A couple of hundred quid, tops. And you get like 40 or 50 chimps in the back of a transit, easy. Is what you're telling me that you didn't pay the going rates that I assume is you, you pay a poacher... Which is you say twelve thousand pounds? No, no, twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Dollars is the is the market price legitimately to go and buy a, a chimpanzee on the open market in America. Legitimately, legitimately, yeah. I mean, from a, you know, like a private zoo, like they, they have over there. You know, what right? I, mean? I could have paid forty thousand dollars and had a giraffe, but that's no good to man no fucking beast. Yeah, I need security. If, if I needed leaves nibble off the top of my trees, then I'd think about going to South Africa with a, with a, a transit and bringing back a giraffe. But then I'd have to cut the roof off the transit, and, uh, you know, you never get that past customs. So l- l- let me just clear this up then. Yeah. You could have bought chimps from a private zoo or private collection in America Yeah, for $12,500 each. each, sure. Yeah. And how many have you got? Working for me now. Yeah. Oh, 40. Right, 40 chimps. So you could have you could have bought them, but instead you, you – am I right in saying you drove a transit van to no. Central Africa? Well, you, you do the mathematics. I mean, uh, 40 chimps, well, you're talking best part of half a million quid. You know, transit I had it anyway. Drove through France, down through Spain. I uh, had a mate uh, near near Gibraltar, took me across to uh, Morocco, down through Africa. Took about two or three weeks all in, you know, lovely. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's purely down to how, how, how dedicated you are and, and how, how, how much you want those chimps, you know, and I, I, want it, I wanted them, so... Uh, I, I got him. You drove to Africa with your van. Yeah. What happens next? Did you speak to poachers? Is that... Scum of the earth. Scum? Scum of the earth, poachers, yeah. It is absolutely rife in Africa, poaching. Do you ever hear about poaching of uh, chimps going on in, in, uh, in Wales? Uh, no. Well, exactly. So they get, a, they get a safer life. They bring them to Wales where they can live without fear of being poached. So you've stolen the chimps from the wild... Yeah, in order when to... they're young, like take them, get them away from the parents, young. Right, you get more in a van then. And you're saying that by doing that, you're protecting them from poachers. Well, yeah, because I mean, like I said, poaching in Africa is absolutely endemic. But I mean, there's there's almost no poaching of uh, of primates in Wales. So by bringing them here, if anything, I'm keeping them safe from poachers. But do you think that some people might think you are being a poacher? Well, no, because I'm not killing them for their ivory. You filled up the the transit, yeah, with forty baby chimps, infant chimps, I would say, not babies, yeah, yeah, okay. It's still not clear to me actually how you sort of got them in the van. All you got, all, all you got to do is, I mean, shouldn't be, I shouldn't be telling this. You'd be really going to business yourself and getting your own bloody chimps, but uh, I will tell you, right? So, uh, but if I, if you, if I, if I catch you doing this, I'll fucking, I will cut your throat, and I mean that. I do mean it. Get a transit van, right? Park it up. Put a couple of uh, leaves and branches around the, around the door, open the back doors, put a little ramp in there, right? 
get something like a big pot of food, big, big uh, like bananas they go crazy for, right? Get a few bananas in a pot so they can smell it. Open the doors there, get a bit of banana stew on a go. Chimps turn up, wide-eyed with appreciation usually, you know. they. Uh, oh, what's this we got here? Oh, this, uh, it's a oh, magic, magic free source of bananas. And wow, we haven't got to go up a tree to get it. It's just here for us. And uh, eat their fill. And then when they're sleeping, drive to the next place. So when they wake up and they're still in the back of your van, yeah. are they angry? It's hard to tell with a chimp. If they're happy, they're, they're screaming their heads off. If they're in pain, they're screaming their heads off. If they're missing their family, they're screaming their heads off. You know, you never know what it is. And what about the, the people there? I, I know it's a very sparsely populated area of, of rainforest, but there are people there working for charities who stop poachers and that kind of thing. You know, what do they have to say about this? Oh, oh bloody do good, as you mean. Yeah. I met a few of those over there. Right. Uh, and did they have a problem with what you were doing? Well, let me tell you what they, I tell you what they had a problem with. Stop at a transit van. Hello, um, my name is Janet Bingham, and um, I am the mother of Warren Bingham, who sadly went missing in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Warren disappeared at the age of 19 two months ago. I asked Janet to tell me about what he was like. Warren was a lovely child. Lovely, but um, I think it's fair to say he never quite fitted in. You know those girls at school who've got um, a horse and their only friend is the horse and they talk about a horse all the time? Well, he was sort of like that, but he didn't have a horse. Right. So it's fair to say he wasn't a a popular child? No, no. I would say deeply, deeply unpopular. Um, Popular with me, of course, not so much with his father. Right. So a troubled Childhood or? I'm troubled. He took great uh, comfort from nature, the natural world. I remember coming back from work one day and we've got quite a large garden with a sort of, I don't want to say lake, but sort of a a large pond, let's say. And there was a swan that, you know, sometimes used to come, come into the garden. And he was there, chest bare, trying to ride the swan. You know, he'd fashioned a little sort of little tiny reins for it. And I was having none of it, you know, pecking all over the place. Um, but he was going full pelt. And what he was on, on the water, so he was kind of using it like a sort of natural jet ski. Exactly. And, you know, with it thrashing around, it was building up quite a lot of speed. And he was sort of speeding around the pond. He was sort of having the time of his life. You're painting quite a vivid picture of, of his early childhood, this, this child who'd love nature riding a swan around the garden. Did this interest in the natural world continue into his teenage years? Absolutely. Um, he threw himself into nature in all kinds of ways. I did actually get a little bit worried at one point because he did sort of share the bed with the dog and they sort of became very sort of, I wouldn't say romantically attached, but there was definitely some kind of real depth of feeling there. So Janet, tell me about Warren's decision to go to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah, so um, Warren decided to go to the Democratic Republic of Congo, and obviously I was uh, worried about that. His father, however, I think it's fair to say, was uh, sort of less concerned. He, uh, in fact, seemed delighted. Um, Mere sort of seconds after Warren had left the house, um, my husband was turning his bedroom, Warren's bedroom, into what he called a scream therapy chamber. And he started fishing out of the recycling, all the egg boxes, bits of cardboard, bubble wrap, 
taping them to the walls of this little room. He put a duvet on the on the wall and he'd invite his friends over to sort of just scream obscenities. And that's actually filled even more, filled up even more now with recycling and soft furnishings. Um, and now only a man can just sort of crawl in there into a little space and they will take turns. Right. So your husband is and his friends are taking turns to, just to make this clear in my head, they crawl into this space that's kind of full of packaging, essentially, and, and, and soft material and just scream out their frustrations yes they often they scream out their frustrations and often he will i can just hear him saying janet janet and it will be muffled they'll shout out all kinds of things i heard one of them shouting about curse the allsop but i think that might have been more of a, a sort of uh amorous shout a sort of a lustful cry yeah a lustful i'd say lustful cry do you think that's um you know i know i know i'm not here to talk about your husband i mean i'm here to talk about warren but uh but I'm interested in this nonetheless. Do you think that's a healthy mental space to be in, just kind of screaming your wife's name into into a duvet? I mean, it's very much the man I married. Don't get me wrong. I mean, nothing about this is unexpected. I mean, if you'd asked me uh, the night before my wedding where I saw myself in 40 years, I'd say, we are going to be living in separate bedrooms and he will have a special little room, our son's bedroom that he has turned into a room where he can masturbate and scream. I'm beginning to get a, a picture of the kind of home that where Warren was brought up. And it kind of helps me understand actually why he may have wanted to go and do some volunteer conservation work somewhere as far away as the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah, no, I would say that our family home um, was not happy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I mean, to be frank, that's how I would want it to be. I sort of feel like there's a lot of mollycoddling of children and people in general. And, you know, I mean, that gives me some comfort to think that Warren chose to go to one of the most war-torn countries on earth, to the jungle, but he was well prepared for that by his childhood. Eli Roberts met Warren in the jungle two months ago. You know, some bloody university student from Britain got over there to bloody do a, do a good deed. They get a bloody job, you know, they get a proper job. Not trying to stop me from giving it, you know, liberating chimps. On a, what, a gap here, whatever that's supposed to be, God knows what that means. Uh, a gap between his ears, I think. Standing in front of the, of the van, uh, you know, big big sign, on, a big like holding like a placard, saying no to poaching. He had, he had his badge on, uh, like a lanyard and stuff, and some, some sort of ID with him. Screaming and shouting blue murder, you know, calling me all sorts of names and all that. I like for him to jump on a plane, but it's not okay for a chimp to get in a transit and go back to Wales. And uh, suddenly, Mr. Bloody, I'm a gap year student with, a, with his dreadlocks, uh, wants to try and stop a transit van and thinks, in what can only be described as an extreme lack of judgment, that, that if he stands in front of the transit van, I'm going to stop. And I had to go, uh, well, basically, Tiananmen Square on him. I knew something was wrong when I stopped receiving WhatsApp messages from Warren. And the thing is, I was receiving them very, very frequently. Daily, uh, I'd receive messages of him in the arms of yet another chimpanzee. Once he put a wig on one, a blonde wig, I don't know where he got that from. You know, to some people that would be heartwarming. But for me, you know, I did sort of worry slightly for the chimpanzee, um, you know, because it did remind me somewhat of him and... um, Bell, uh, our, our late Labrador, and um, their very close relationship that they enjoyed. So, yeah, it was a sort of this sort of gallery 
of chimpanzees and my son. And so when that stopped, I knew something was terribly, terribly wrong. And I um, hopped on a plane to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Running Warren over with the transit van is shocking enough. But more shocking still is what he then did with his lifeless body. And the thing was, I mean, luckily for me, I just chucked the, uh, I chucked the student in the back of the van then and didn't have to feed the kids uh, in the back, the, the chimps until Morocco. You know, the local lads, nice enough fellas there, you know, they, they were, they, they, I just said, listen, have a couple of quid each, lads, and uh, if anyone comes poking a nose around there, just tell them he'd been, uh, he was bitten on the on a cock by a spider. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, I'm sure, I'm sure he's, he's missed by someone, but uh, I certainly didn't miss him. Literally. As soon as I arrived, I um, went straight over to the charity's HQ, met some lovely gentlemen. They actually told me what had happened is Warren had been bitten on the end of his penis by a large spider and died. I mean, it's amazing you had to fly all the way there for them to tell you that they didn't think to ring you or let, let you know that, no, that I he'd been bitten on the cock by a spider. No, it was... Um, a dark day in what's been a very, very dark life. I found it extremely moving speaking to the gentleman. Tell me about the emotions you feel when you, you find out your son has, has died because he's been bitten on the knob. I was devastated, sad. But then there is something lovely about it because to me, being bitten on the penis by a spider is a noble death. I mean, Warren loved nature, and nature loved him. And to die by the bite of a spider on his private parts is, you know, I mean, the best any of us can hope for. There's definitely great comfort in knowing the manner of his death. I'm interested in whether you ever had any suspicions about the manner of Warren's death. If anything ever sort of didn't add up to you about, about the story... Do you ever feel it's implausible that, that he died because a, a, a spider bit his tallywhacker? Are you trying to suggest that he wasn't bitten on the cock by a spider? Has it not occurred to you that it's strange that, you know, I believe you weren't able to see his, his body uh, over there? No, I'm, I mean, no. What you don't understand is um, what the gentleman explained to me, is that when you're bitten the poison actually sort of dissolves your body and sort of rumples up and then evaporates. Um, so no, I wasn't able to see his body. What would you say if I told you that I personally had information about the real story of how, of how Warren met his end? I mean, if you're trying to tell me he wasn't bitten on the cock by a spider, I honestly don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Right. Uh, Okay. So that that's something that's very important, you know, that that seems to have that seems to be something that's quite important to you. It is because it Warren being bitten on the cock by a spider. It might sound strange, but in the madness of the last couple of years, this has been sort of a sort of a glimmer of hope, a sort of natural order. And I'll tell you something else. I actually visited a spiritualist in Glastonbury and she told me that I, in fact, was a spider in a past life. So, just hear me out here, it's almost as though I bit Warren 
and caused his death. And I find great solace there. Well, the, the information I, that I had about the real story about how, how Warren met his end was just that um, I happen to know that it was a really big spider. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was interested to know whether Eli had had any trouble with the chimps. They've been good as gold. You know, there was, there's going to be, a, there's always going to be a bit of a power struggle at the, at the, at the beginning. You know, there's going to be a, uh, literally, well, I was going to say doggy dog. It was actually chimpy chimp. But, um, you know, so the 30, there's a boss now, Big Steve. You know, they know he's the boss. Oh, so B- Big Steve, one of the, the chimps has kind of risen to the top. Big Steve's the big, is, uh, is, the, is the big chimp on the site, yeah. And as a mark of respect for a fellow, uh, a fellow striver to, to become the best, I've um, I've given him uh, a crossbow. You've given one of the chimps a crossbow. Yeah, big Steve. Yeah, and does he use that? Oh, he, yeah. He's, he's. I mean, his aim is not the best, but I mean, uh, yeah, he's, he's he's shot that a couple of times. I got a load it up for him. Yeah, he, he hasn't he hasn't worked out the draw mechanism yet, but I mean, uh, I'll draw it and cock it for him, and he he you know he. Makes a funny little scream like he does, and and just fires a trigger, and uh, yeah, what he lacks in accuracy, mind he, he makes up for in a lack of remorse. So, uh, you know. So I guess they've got this kind of um, almost human-like kind of society and hierarchy. hierarchy yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, with Big Steve at the top, and then a kind of uh, a system that, that's emerged. That's really interesting. Well, there's a harem of, of female chimps, and there's you know, and there's people who work for him. They're, they're up there cracking. Cracking security team, they really are. You know, I mean, uh, as far as the crossbow is concerned, you know, what 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 Big Steve lacks in accuracy, he makes up for with a lack of remorse as well. Because I mean, uh, well, this is a funny story. Uh, when we got back to to Wales from from Africa with, with the van, I'd uh, I'd been in such a rush to uh, to uh, to get as many chimps in there as possible and, and get out of there, like you know. So uh, didn't uh, didn't make enough thorough checks. I'm very honest with, me, with you, you know, but um. I was obviously do do my best in difficult circumstances. Well, the only bloody one of, one of the what he thought was an infant chimp turned out to be a silverback gorilla. What right? Yeah, Lenny, I called him. He was big, big, big old boy, Len. Well, so when you put him in the van, he was a silverback at that stage, or he was a baby gorilla who? No, no, he was a full full grown silverback. Yeah, you did notice? No, no, he was uh, it was dark, and uh, I I was still bloody uh, chuckling to myself about the uh, the gap student that um. Thought he could stop a transit van, you know. So, uh, so at what point did you realise that one of the juvenile chimps was in fact a, an adult gorilla? I thought it was a foot when we got to like North Africa. I was waiting to get on on, on the little boat there, and uh, I had a racket from the back of the van, and I I, I had a little peek inside there. There was a uh, and, and this like a shadow in the back, and it looked like a. I thought I thought one of the chimps had grown a lot in the last couple of days. You know, I did. I had no idea how fast they grow. But yeah, by the time we got back to Wales, opened the van up and uh, the, Lenny, I called him, huge thing. Um, yeah, full-grown bloody silverback in the back there. So uh, this is, uh, and, and, and there's an important life lesson to be learned from this as well, because uh, you naturally assume then that big Lenny's going to be the boss. And well, yeah, how did he, big Steve. did he get on with the rest of the chimps? Because obviously he's a different species. Yeah, and he was, I, I hate to say the word bully, but I mean, he, he liked to, uh, Put it about a bit, but um, by complete fluke, there was nothing, no, no skill involved. But um, yeah, so one of the first people that uh, Big Steve shot was was Lenny. Complete fluke with a crossbow, yeah. Bolted him in the, just a, below the left eye, 
and he was definitely at the floor. I mean, it was a, of course. I mean, if Steve was uh, was was uh, popular before that, I mean, afterwards he was, you know, king of the castle. Like, well, let's talk about their role as security guards. You say they're doing a good job. Have they had to apprehend anyone yet, or you know, is it just a case of you know sitting around and twiddling their thumbs? We had a runner about uh, three weeks ago. We had a runner. Usual sort of thing. Oh, I want my freedom. Uh, you know, I haven't been paid for weeks. I haven't seen my family. I'm still terrified. All this sort of nonsense. And uh, Big Steve was, you know, he, he he wasn't involved himself. It was two of the other fellas there, um, uh, Chris and Helen, two of the younger ones, and uh, they poof, off like a blinging shot after him. And uh, he got up near the, uh, not far from the bus station, where, and Helen uh, grabbed him by the by the collar jumped on him, had a cracking, lovely jump, and uh, he, he sort of toppled backwards, and then Chris went straight for the face, basically took the face off, near enough, and then Helen was uh, making out of a racket, and she just was, I, I could see her now biting on it, and just bit a couple of his fingers off, and uh, that was it then, uh, done. So, uh, you know, didn't kill him, he's, he's back, he's back back on the site now, he's, uh, I, gave, I gave him two days off, and he's just got the eight fingers there. But I mean, uh, plenty of the people from the abattoir have got less than 10 fingers. He did, if, if anything, he fits in better now. More after this. Okay, this advert is going out to anyone with the dick and balls. This episode of the Beef and Dairy Network podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Clean yourself into the new year with their new ultra-premium body wash. Look, let, let, let's stop beating around the bush. E- each of us has that special area, and you've got to keep it clean. <laughs> you've got to keep it clean. There's not many things in life you have to do, actually, when you boil it down. There's not that many things you have to do. Jury duty, if called. Um, conscription. The only other thing, really, is keeping that... You've got to keep that area clean, guys. And uh, Manscaped might be the way to do it. So use the code BEEF for 20% off, plus free shipping at manscaped.com. And get all in on confidence and smelling good this new year with Manscaped. After acquiring the chimps, Eli contacted Keith Poggles at Poggles Security Solutions to ask if they could test his new security system, something which proved to be much harder than Keith had assumed. It was a tough, yeah, a tough night, that, actually. So t- tell me about when Eli called you. It was out of the blue. I hadn't heard of Eli before. Um, and he said, look, yeah, you're the best. Are you up for a challenge? Um, <laughs> yes, of course. He said, I won't tell you what we've, what we've done. Just see if you can get in. And he, he, um, he, didn't, he went for it. He paid. It was the diamond package. The Poggles diamond package is basically a full military assault on your premises to see if your security system can stand up to it. Tens of trained professionals will try and steal your beef, including former members of the armed forces, armed vehicles and bad dogs. We were completely honest. We put it on the website as a bit of a joke. We didn't think anybody would go for the diamond package. Um, We had to buy a helicopter. Oh, right. It comes with a helicopter. Yeah, it comes with a helicopter. We had to buy that. We didn't have that. We had to learn... The basics. Turns out that's quite hard. I had to call in a lot of favours, soldiers, and we've got a lot of dogs. Uh, 
it was astonishing level. It, it, it seemed like overkill, but it wasn't. Yeah, it was not uh, at all. The assault began at 2am. Keith was at Poggles HQ, watching the events through the body cams of the soldiers. Got about 30 men uh, and um, on this chopper, and then there's, there's ground units coming in with, with dogs. Let's roll. We fly under the radar, they drop in. Okay, we're going in. It's all go you know, it it's all going perfectly. They, they land no one in the courtyard. Courtyard's clear. Unbelievable. You're thinking to yourself, Roberts has absolutely uh, he's messed this up. There's a door. Not even not even locked. Corridor clear. We're looking up and down the corridors, we're going, where have they hidden these? What's, what is this? So, yeah, we're... Where's the beef? Where have they put the beef? <laughs> where are the cows? No beef down here. And then, um, there's this noise. Your first thought is, we found them. It's the cows. You think this is it? This is it. They've put the they've put the, the cows in the walls. Fake walls. It's a classic. You know, you've got to be very careful. This close to that many cows. There's a lot of methane. You know, no live ammunition because that could go up. But uh, it was not the cows making the noise. I had barely seconds to see what actually it was there before. Just a barrage of shit flew at us. It was, uh, it was like a, just a, a rain of shit. It, it was, you know, a medieval battle and the arrows are flying down, except it, it's shit. I'm, you know, apologies for the, for the, the graphic image there, but this was a lot of shit being thrown. And through through this melee, through this sort of mist of haze of, of feces and detritus, forty frenzied chimps tear through the men. Uh, control, we're under attack by overestimate thirty or forty chimpanzees. It, it was. It felt like an hour, but it must have been a minute, thirty seconds. Holy shit! These are trained men, but forty chimps. Throwing that much shit, um, they'd presumably been eating beef. They'd got that boost, they'd got that energy boost. And it was... We screamed, let, you know, the dogs, get the dogs in there. Get the dogs! But the, the chimps were ready, they they bonded quite quickly with the dogs. And they, they rode them around. They're born entertainers, chimps. These soldiers, okay, they're trained, but they're trained to kill people. And there's that, there's that second's hesitation. A chimp. Should I? Can I? Are they endangered? Is this the one? Is this the ones? The palm oil ones? Is this them? You know. And that's that's all it takes. In that split second, that you've lost that the advantage. Second. 
Oh, you've gone. And it's fair to say that they are violent. Oh, they're wearing the guts like uh, Christmas hats. <coughs> they're riding the dogs around. I mean, it's quite... By this point, they know they're on top. It's... it's it, it, imagine sort of a feral apocalypse crops. <coughs> So, of all of the staff members that you sent into the Robert Slaughterhouse, how many came back? Well, chips always leave one. They always leave one. Yeah, he's quit the job, actually. He doesn't work for me now. I think that's understandable, isn't it? Yeah. Well, better luck to him. Well, that's it, isn't it? That's all you can say, really. That's what I said. Sorry about the, you know, chimp slaughter. And so I assume the the following day you had to ring Eli and, and give him the good news. You know, you weren't able to steal any beef. He rang me. He, I mean, he was, you know, he was excited to, uh, to do it. Um, yeah. And I just had to sort of, you know, say, well, look, well done, first of all. Then second of all, I just said, listen, just be careful. Watch your back. Because 40 chimps that well-trained, now with dogs, they could turn. I asked Eli whether he thought the chimps would turn. Did he think that one day Big Steve might challenge his authority? I hope he does. I mean that. I hope he does because I've seen a look in his eye and he's thinking, hello, I can be the big dog here. I can run the whole place, you know, and then uh, I would love nothing more than to go mano a chimpo with him. But uh, even, he, even, you know, if, even if he was wielding a crossbow? Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's neither you nor there. His aim is bad. Uh, what I would do in that situation, of course, is I would take the crossbow off him. I'd distract him in some way. I'd probably uh, get like a pencil and jam it in his ear or something like that. And then when he was screaming in pain, take a crossbow off him. And I'd shoot him in the, uh, in the, in the well, in the chest probably, or the, the stomach area. And then as he was bleeding out, I would take my top off, bare-chested, and I'd thump my chest over him, you know, stand on his, on his torso, and then... Um, I would be known as king of the chimps by the other chimps then, but um, it hadn't come to that. Not a day goes by I don't think of him. I relish him challenging my authority. But as it is, he's happy with what he's doing and I'm happy with him doing a good job for me, so uh, he knows who the boss is. So what would you say to the people, I feel like I have a responsibility to say this, Mm. who would say these chimps deserve to be in their natural habitat? Oh, they're not... Right, let me ask you a question, shall I? Let me flip around and ask you a question, right? These people are saying this. Are they naked? Probably not. Are they covered in their own excrement? Unlikely. Is their hair ever been cut? Probably. Well, there we are then. So they can be all high and mighty, how come they're not in their natural environment, and yet they are quite happy not to be in their natural environment? Oh, so you think a human's natural environment is just to... 
We don't think it is. What's natural, isn't it? So you think it's natural for humans to be naked? Of course, that's how we're born. How you come out, how you come out is how, how you are. That's natural. Everything else is, is by nature not natural, right? So unless you're standing there naked as the day you were born, covered in bits of your own excrement with matted hair and unkempt beard and nails caked in mud, then you're not being natural yourself. And now you can tell me that chimps should be in their natural habitat. Well, you go and, tell you what, go and live in your natural habitat first and then you can throw stones. And in fact, and try throwing stones because I can tell you something for nothing. A chimp can throw a stone further and harder than you can. And one of the big fuckers has got a crossbow. Okay, okay. Well, I take your point. Yeah. What about the legal aspect of this, which is that what you've done is almost <laughs> certainly illegal? Here we go. Legal. Who said? Legal for who? Legal for who? So someone in, in London, in Westminster, can sit there on a, on a green leather chair and tell me what's legal and what's not legal. And then some bloke with a flipping horsehair wig and a gown and a, and a wooden hammer can tell me what I can and cannot do with a chimp. Don't be so bloody ridiculous. So do you feel like the, the chimps have their own system of, their own kind of legal system, really? That... Natural justice. Right. Which is what, you know, the, what make the world go round. You know, you think of all the species, all the hundreds and millions and thousands of species in the world. Only one of them has got a crown court. How long we have courts for? Courts? Yeah. I don't know. A couple of thousand years? How was the earth? Four and a half billion years old. The universe is 13.5 billion years old. 13.5 billion years. Unfathomably large. Not only larger than we imagine, but larger than we could imagine. And expanding exponentially. And millions of species. Most of which, the vast majority of which no longer live. They've, they've lived and died. They've, they've shuffled off this mortal coil. They've had their chance at the wheel, right? And every day more and more stars are being born and more and more planets are, are coalescing. And every day the universe expands and it's not only bigger than we can imagine, it's bigger than we can imagine. And you're telling me that if all that uh, unfathomable vastness, all that, that, that enormous magnet, we, we literally come out and even begin to wrap our heads around how big it is. And in all that infinite space, in all of that, you think that some bloke telling me that I can't put a chimp in a transit van and give him a crossbow is law. It's some, it's some immutable truth. That's ridiculous, isn't it? A big thanks to Eli Roberts, Janet Bingham and Keith Poggles for those interviews. And Poggles Security Solutions is offering a deal to all Beef and Dairy Network members. It's 50% off the price of the bronze security package. And that comes with a free guarantee that they won't kill any of your security guards unless completely necessary. And if they do, they say they will clonk them respectfully on the back of the head with a heavy torch. So an open casket funeral, entirely possible in that scenario. So that's all we've got time for this month. But if you're after more beef and dairy news, get over to the website now, where you'll find all the usual stuff, as well as our off-topic section, where this month we look back at World War II and ask, could the whole thing have been avoided if Hitler, Stalin, Chamberlain, Emperor Hirohito 
and Franklin Delano Roosevelt had done karaoke together on the deck of a naval destroyer on the eve of war? The answer's no. So, until next time, beef out. Thanks to Alistair Satchel, Tom Bell, Mike Bubbins and Amy Mason, and also all of the listeners who answered the call on Twitter and provided the voices of those poor, poor soldiers being torn to shreds by chimps. You all did a fantastic job. Okay, until next time, goodbye. This week on Maximum Fun's pro wrestling podcast, Tights and Fights, Austin Creed, best known as WWE's Xavier Woods, tells us why his fans find him so easy to love. So I I think it's less me being good at it and more people wanting to be a part of something. And it's very easy to be a part of these things because I constantly am screaming about what I'm interested in. Austin Creed on the perfect wrestling podcast, Tights and Fights. Find it on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. Or we can just talk about it on the show. Oh no, Ross and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.